Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner. Hello and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you are wrong. Uh, we have at long last reached our final stop here on the tumultuous summer of Travolta. Uh, I have the post-vacation blues and the end of the summer of Travolta blues just compounds that even more so. Uh, but before we get into the bemoaning, my name is Alex <laughs> and I'm joined as always by Julio. Julio, how are you this evening? I am exhausted. I think that I, I didn't even go on vacation with you, and I'm I'm also feeling the the just weariness. It's like the adrenaline is finally leaving my body. Yeah. After three months, four months of Travolta, there was a lot of Travolta. It was just, but we didn't OD on Travolta. Remember, we posed the question. Yeah. At the true. very beginning, can you OD of John Travolta? And I think. I guess the real question will be the withdrawals, how serious they are. <laughs> yes. I mean, we have the Travolta's coming up, so mm -hmm. uh, put away those handkerchiefs. You still have one more bonus episode uh, in the summer of Travolta. Basically the recap of it all. The recap, the awards, the feels. Uh, but but as far as movies go... This is the finale. It's part two of the one-two combo from uh, Elmore Leonard's... Um, what do you call it? It's not a, a discography, a, a filmography. A, a duet. A duet, <laughs> yes. Um, but his body of work. Uh, this is the follow-up to Get Shorty, both in literary and cinematic form. This is Be Cool from 2005, starring John Travolta. How cool is it, Alex? It's so cool. It's so cool that I had a hard time staying awake because it was just so like overpowering. <laughs> uh it's it's 30 percent cool it is it is right at 30 percent cool uh, in terms of temperature it'd be a bit chilly <laughs> oh. which is fitting a bit chilly not not so much palmer not so much palmer um so for the first portion here of contrarian's corner this is where we rage against the rotten tomatoes machine which, what were they saying on the Rotten Tomatoes machine? Not very nice things, Alex. Um, I'm starting with John Nickham from Lawrence Journal World, who says, A two-hour in-joke that is rarely dull, but only occasionally as funny as it thinks it is. Tony Medley from TonyMedley.com says, Do you think that's just like a bunch of Tonys like, taking turns writing stuff? It it's, could a, it's, be. it's a medley of Tonys. Yeah. Uh, a squalid piece of nonsense that trivializes murder and violence. The color is good, and Travolta is a master of the dance floor. But this is nothing more than glitzy trash. The color is good? <laughs> That's. It's not like it's Suspiria or something. 
They didn't go out of their way to make it gorgeous. Or is he talking about the fact that there's more than one black guy in this movie? I guess. It could be. Or yeah, that's just the tree of life. They're like, wow, the color <laughs> is just really good. Uh, Dwayne Dudek from Milwaukee Journal Sentinel says, it's canned chili for people who hate spicy food. Boo. That's terrible. Bill Muller from Arizona Republic says, Even Travolta seems disinterested in this bloated sequel, which revisits all the old gags, but doesn't possess a tenth of the energy found in the original. Jimmy O from Film Snobs says, Further proof of Elmer Leonard's desperate sellout status. Jesus. That was like a personal attack. And kind of unfair. I mean, regardless of how you feel about the movie, it's not like Elmer Leonard directed it. Yeah, that wasn't his, it wasn't him at the helm. Sir, go find the equivalent just, uh, of Rotten Tomatoes for books yeah. and, and then just air your grievances there. I guess he's just mad that he sold it for a screenplay. Uh, and then, much like uh, we did in part one of this finale, where we had uh, Brandon Curtis and Chas Fisher lend their voices. Yes. Uh, here, we have yet another past contributor. Hey, this is Eddie. You'll remember me from phoning in. On the Entourage episode, which coincidentally Julio and Alex also phoned in, I'm here to talk about uh, Be Cool, a movie I know I saw in theaters and I don't remember, so all I can do is talk about the trailer, which uh, still has two moments that make me laugh. The supercut of everybody yelling, Be Cool, Be Cool, Be Cool, Be Cool, and then Cedric's, I am cool, is awesome. And then, of course, the part where uh, Vince Vaughn in a fur coat is dancing and says, Twinkle, Twinkle. Um, those are my only memories of Be Cool, so uh, I'm happy to leave it at that. Thank you, Eddie. Bravo. <laughs> fair. Fair fucks to him, though. Those are his only memories of that's, the movie. That's how you do it. You uh, run tomatoes, blubsters. Uh, well, take us away, Alex. I was going to say, it's <laughs> just time to jump right in. I feel like we pick up where we left off with Get Shorty. It's uh, Chili Palmer, and he is... You know, some would say it's a bit too soon for this because all he wanted in uh, Get Shorty was to be a filmmaker, but he's grown restless of it and he wants to move on to something else. Uh, I mean, he looks... He looks younger. <laughs> yes. The film industry was kind to him. All that all that uh, Get Leo money just really rejuvenated him. Bathes in milk like Charlie's Theron and... Um, Snow White and the Huntsman just rejuvenates his body nightly. Yeah. Like I told you when we were watching, he looks younger than he did in Greece. Yes. It's amazing what the show business his will do to you. His head looks smaller because the hair is not as poofed. But, yeah, he looks younger. Yeah. Uh, but but you can see the weirdness behind the eyes. Mm -hmm. I think that that's one of the things that this movie does is just illustrate the point that we learn during our uh, – our show business uh, mini arc, mm -hmm. you know, which is that show business, movies, theater, music, what have you, will just ravage it. Your soul. It will destroy you, and I, it looks like Chili Palmer learned that lesson really early on. And I mean, he's hanging out with James Woods, so that that's never a good sign. Big red flag as far as his mental health. Uh, James Woods, I didn't catch his character's name, but it doesn't really matter because he's not around very long. He's playing James Woods. Oh yes. Tony Athens is his name. Tommy Athens, excuse me. Uh, do they even have much of a conversation? Because before you know it, James Woods is just gunned down in the middle of the street. No one really reacts like it's anything weird. Kind of like uh, 
what would happen if if James Woods got gunned? Like, <laughs> like, are you really surprised that it happened? It was an accurate depiction of how basically the reaction would be in 2018. The cops take their sweet time. Yeah, <laughs> Debbie Mazar is just one of the cops that shows up. So James Woods is pitching him a movie. Uh, he's he, a record guy, right? He's a record guy, but he's like, I have a movie idea for you, and it's based on my life. Okay. And Travolta's like, who would watch that? And James Wood tells him, well, being a record executive is really exciting. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe me, watch the next two hours of movie. <laughs> uh, so he's gunned down by someone who shouts something in Russian. Again, prolific and not too far off right now. James Woods wouldn't be killed by the Russians because he supports them. Right. Yeah. But but maybe you can't trust the Russians. No. I mean, if if Putin can steal that guy's ring, then... Anything goes. I'm just waiting for James Woods to show up in one of those shirts that's been going around that I'd rather be a Russian than a Democrat. <laughs> He's printing them. <laughs> um, one of the police officers on the scene is Debbie Mazar. The main um, significance of this is this is her third appearance on the Contrarians podcast. She's not even trying. Spanning two decades. Yeah, she, but she's not even trying, right? I mean, no. all the other people that have appeared like multiple times it's like we knew they were there in an effort right but here she just kind of like pops up and took us by surprise segue immediately into a reference to get shorty of the cadillac of so-and-so he rents a car and it's an electrical car like an environmentally safe and the salesman's like it's the cadillac of electrical cars right so on the surface a really lame callback yes to to get shorty um and and really I feel bad for anybody who can't see past that because they're about to have a terrible time. If all you can see is lame callbacks uh, when something like this happens. Yeah, don't watch any horror movie ever. (laughs) Or this movie because it's really every five to ten minutes you'll get a callback to get shorty. Or another movie that Travolta's in. Yes, that's true. Uh, But really I think that there's more to it. It's really uh, the movie itself – much like James Woods at the beginning of the movie or even Travolta at certain points is commenting on sequels mm-hmm. in the movie business and how unoriginal it is and how uh, everything is done by uh, committee. There's no original voices and all that stuff. So, of course, Get Shorty was a very original movie, a fresh, uh, a breath of fresh air in Travolta's career. So now, of course, it, it makes meta. sense. Yeah. And now Be Cool is, is just, you know, is going to comment on that. And if you didn't get enough of a throwback immediately to get Shorty, we get one next with Danny DeVito shows up as uh, his character from Get Shorty. I'm blanking on his name. Uh, uh, not Leo. <laughs> it is not Leo. Marty. It, Martin. Martin Weir. Yes. Yes. Excuse me. Uh, he just kind of says, hey. And then they get into an argument about, you know, what kind of, kind of car is better. Yeah. Um, it's fair. You know, if you're going to do a sequel it's to Bill Get Shorty. Bill Murray's cameo in Get Smart. If you're going to do a, a sequel to Get Shorty, besides Travolta, the one person you want to get is DeVito. Everybody else is just kind of, their stories were done. Yeah. I don't need to see Rene Russo anymore. Mm-hmm. I, 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 if I saw it, it would just bore me because that, that love story was done. Yeah. I don't want to see them fight. So I'd rather just assume that something happened off screen and now Chili is, uh, is a free agent again. <laughs> In more ways than one. Uh, he is on the market for a new talent, and his eye is set on Linda Moon, played by, I was not familiar with this actress, but Julio, you seem to have a bit of knowledge of her. 
I mean, I have the knowledge of having seen her in that uh, the Kristen Bell vehicle Pulse. Christina uh, Milan. Yeah, okay. and then here, which I mean, so you were not familiar with her at all, no. Alex. But after watching Be Cool, there's no way that you would ever forget this girl. This this it's impossible. This movie is it's almost as if it's the end of the summer of Travolta. And it would be the beginning of the summer of Milan. It was the trampoline for Milan. Yeah, if it had been better received by audiences. This is really, you know, the passing of the torch. Yes. She sings, she dances, she acts. She's the female Travolta for the new millennium. She says, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, her handlers are Rage and Elliot, played by Vince Vaughn and The Rock, respectively. Uh, still going by The Rock. It probably was the next year or two when he went from he he gradually transitioned. He was The Rock, then he was Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and then he was just Dwayne Johnson. And he tried DJ for a while, and no, no, didn't work. So if somebody calls him, like it was like, "Hey, Rock," does he turn? Oh God, yeah, he'll answer to that. But okay, like, I assume it was just his agent or something's like, "Hey, let's start separating yourself from this wrestling thing," which he did for ten years, and then he came back. Uh, well, it wasn't ten years. How long was it? Oh four to. 2012 how long is that eight something like that yeah but anyway i mean i digress he is not the behemoth we know today exactly i I, that was i was about to say he is now the kind of guy that can just go in and out of wrestling movies Mm -hmm. you know do like an animated uh performance a voice performance in a disney movie he can do whatever he wants he can't wear dress shirts anymore though they'll just rip instantly (laughs) right but this is this is the rock in his humble beginnings as an actor, mm-hmm. and he kills it. He does. He is surrounded by talent. And Titans he, yeah, of the industry. Yeah, and and he's still. I mean, he is. Most of his scenes are either with Travolta or with Vince Vaughn, uh, far more established actors than he was at the time. He commands the screen from Harvey Keitel in the few scenes that they yeah. have together. Yeah. Uh, so good for him. I, it, you know, if it wasn't the. If this movie wasn't meant to be the springboard for Christina Milan, mm-hmm. it would have been the springboard for The Rock. Yes. We had to wait two, three more years until Southland Tales came out before we could right. But this is, this is a solid warm-up. Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, he's playing I mean, against basi- type. Basically the same movie. <laughs> uh, Vince Vaughn, a bit of an understated performance here. He would have been riding high off of, uh, I believe, Winning Crashers would have been before this. Um, I guess this is his heel turn after, <laughs> after playing the good guy. Uh, for for a solid stretch of movies, but you know he definitely tackles. Uh, it's uh, definitely it's fearless. It's a fearless performance. Preludes, uh, or I guess would be a inspiration for. I can't quite find the word I'm looking for here. The the term, as it were, that uh, racist. No, I was going to call it more of a a preamble to James Franco and Spring Breakers. That's what I yes. was looking for. Oh yeah, yeah. Just all he was missing was the dreads. Yeah, I mean, by the time Spring Breakers came along, obviously Vaughn had aged out of the role. Mm-hmm. But but this is really basically what they were basing it on, clearly. So I was wrong. Uh, Wedding Crashers came out later in 2005. This is the beginning of 2005. But he was still writing off uh, the fame of Dodgeball, Anchorman, and Paparazzi. James Wood's wife, Uma Thurman, Edie Athens, is left with this crumbling record business that she needs to take care of. Uh, so Chili Palmer vows to help her out. Why is this significant? Because it's it's, it's Vince, Vince and Mia. Vega. Yeah, Vince and Vega and <laughs> Mrs. Mia Wallace back together at last. 
Uh, it's really significant because Uma Thurman apparently has an Aerosmith tramp stamp. Brock Lesnar has one that says "Kill 'Em All." She has the Aerosmith logo. I really hope that that's actually her tramp stamp. That that's that's just Uma Thurman's little bit of character that she brought to the script. And I hope she just drunkenly lays out in the nude in the, <laughs> the California sun, as this movie portrays her to be pretty much a functioning alcoholic. She looks great, though. She's a, she hasn't reached oh, yeah. the, the the point of alcoholism where you start falling apart. No, she looks wonderful. She doesn't look uh, as young as Travolta, but she looks. But she looks more refined. Refined, like yeah, Travolta is. Uh, you know, they're both. I mean, the same amount of time has happened for both of them has has gone by since Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. But whereas Uma Thurman has matured into like a beautiful woman, Travolta. It's like he didn't mature. He just, yeah, he just stayed in stasis. So, Nick Carr, played by Harvey Keitel, is Vince Vaughn's boss. If I understood this correctly, yes. Okay, he also was the wolf. He was the wolf. He somehow has his finger in the pie here of why James Woods was murdered, and they know that Chili Palmer is going to swoop in and try to help out, and they don't want that to happen. So they hire a Joe Loop. A hitman to kill Chili before he can save the crumbling record industry or uh, business, excuse me. Overshadowed by every major actor in this movie is uh, this this poor guy, Robert Pastorelli. Robert Pastorelli got to play with the big boys in this movie, and boy, <laughs> did he bring he it. Not stick out. <laughs> I I think that he. He does admirably, he, considering that he was already. He, he, he couldn't definitely even be called. takes the "Who's That" award. <laughs> right. it, but you know, can you imagine? That sucks because you can't even claim to be the new guy. And you, you know, there you're just the guy because the new guy would be the Rock, and the and the rising star would be Christina Milan. It's like all the all the spots are taken. He yeah. was just like the guy that. Well, we need. There's one more character. Just just give it to this guy, and he's um. Jason Statham's sidekick and Snatch. Just, he's there. He's a guy. He's part of the plot. Yeah. But when you're recapping it, you just kind of forget that he was there. So he's hired to take out Chili because Chili's trying to set up some live performance with Linda uh, Moon and Steven Tyler and Aerosmith. Because as you do, I think he's just trying to impress Uma Thurman at this point. God bless. <laughs> I love this movie, but when you're when you're saying it out loud... It sounds even better. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, buckle in, because we're entering into Sin LaSalle, played by the incomparable Cedric the Entertainer. He is... uh, Is he a rapper, or is he also a He's like a a record producer, yeah. But I I think the implication is that he has rhythm. Uh, I I love this, this character, because he's so layered. First, we're introduced to him uh, in this... Just suburban neighborhood. Uh, About how his children don't realize how lucky they are. Right, he's well making them. It. Yeah, he's making them waffles, and he's saying hi to the neighbors and everything. And then, and then the guy from Outcast, Andre, Andre Benjamin, mm-hmm. right? He he rolls in with a whole bunch of uh, gangsters. Yeah, big uh, old Hummers with uh, spinning yeah. rims, and kind of embarrasses him in front of the neighborhood. Yeah. And he does have the great line, you have to be rolling in here playing that music. Turn that shit off. Uh, they have Pete from 30 Rock tied up in the trunk. 
I guess he is a local radio DJ or a local uh, programmer that doesn't play their music. And so they're taking upon themselves to do a wee bit of viral marketing. So the way this all this all tied together is they are in business or they were in business with James Woods' company, and they're owed uh, Cedric the Entertainer's owed three hundred thousand dollars. Right. What did James Woods do with that money? We don't know. James Woods. We also don't knows. know why the Russian mob wanted him dead. But they're Russians, so <laughs> this movie bravely facing on. We've done one other movie where the Russians were the bad guys, and I was like, good, yeah. good that they were just like. I'm just get, glad that the bad guys get. Was it Live Free or Die Hard? Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Calling it way ahead. It's like, forget diplomacy. <laughs> We're just going after those Ruskies, baby. Yep. So being owed this $300,000, LaSalle, Sin, Cedric. Cedric the Entertainer. Cedric the Entertainer. Never more entertaining than in this movie. Perhaps in the original Kings of Comedy, but this would be definitely a, su- a close second. <laughs> I really thought you were going to say the original uh, a series of unfortunate events. Is he in that? He's there for like five minutes. Oh, okay. I mean, he's incredible in uh, King's Comedy, but here nor there. So they make a deal. He comes in, and I, I think he threatens to kill him with Thurman and Chili also. that That's basically his go-to argument for everything is just, I'm going to kill you. Um, and Travolta agrees that, okay, if you give me this amount of time, I'll do this gig. I'll get you the 300000 and, you know, the VIG is what he calls it. But I think that's like a bookie's fee or like, like under-the-table money. I, I thought it was the interest. Yeah, that could be it. Yeah, I mean, maybe I I've heard know. it used in so many different contexts before. I was trying to deduce what it was in this film. I he, mean, he'll hook him up with his plastic surgeon. The, uh, <laughs> I just thought, at first I thought that you know, like the big was the Criterion edition of the Tom Hanks movie because <laughs> <laughs> Cedric had never seen it. And is there no? There's not a Criterion. No, big. there should be. There should be. Give it time. There's a Tom Hanks cameo. Did you see it? It's like blink and you miss it. No. Uh, it, there's a billboard uh, that says Mr. Lovejoy, which is a movie that we're going to make and get shorty. Yeah. And it's like Mr. Lovejoy starring Tom Hanks. And Tom oh, Hanks that's is hilarious. Yeah, it's directed by Harry Zimmer. That's um, one of my favorite parts in all of Tropic Thunder is at the end when they're doing the best actor Oscar. Mm-hmm. The other pictures around Ben Stiller and one of them is Tom Hanks in a wheelchair <laughs> at the Olympics with his hands raised. So they agree to make this deal. Uh, now... Why are the Russians trying to kill Chili Palmer? Um, he was originally one of the targets, wasn't he? Weren't they trying to kill him? In the no, movie? he just happened to be there. Okay. But I think that the Russians are still threatening Uma Thurman now that she's inherited uh, James Woods' So whatever business. it was, the Russians were going after his business and him in general and his family. Right. They don't want him in operation. Yeah. Okay. Maybe he owes them money. I don't know. James Woods is a mysterious guy. He is. I really... You know, I was trying to see what what's going on behind those tweets. You ever uh, seen The Simpsons that he was on, where he takes up whose job at the Quickie Mart? It's really James Woods. You want to talk about interesting? It's just a really fascinating and <laughs> odd episode. Uh, um, so he's he's James Woods playing James Woods. Yeah, okay. he's there for like a he's studying for a role. And yeah, it's it's really hard to explain, but it's really funny. And then I think he was on Family Guy. I wouldn't know because I only watch good television, but. Um, <laughs> So what Chili really wants at this point, you know, he's such a smooth talker. We learned this from Get Shorty. Um, he can get himself out of almost any situation. And he's a master at evading death, as we've seen in every other movie of his that we've watched so far. Um, except for Face Off. But, but even but then, was it really him? Right. It was the spirit of Cage inside Travolta's body. So. 
Um, what he wants is Linda Moon's contract, and my understanding was it was under the tutelage and ownership of Nick Carr, Harvey yes. Keitel, the wolf. Harvey Keitel. Who's rocking those hammerhead shark guys in this movie. He is... Uh... Why would you describe his performance? What is he playing? He says bro a lot, which that, that alone makes this movie worth watching. You get to see Harvey Keitel act like a dude, I guess. Is he, you know, he's broing everybody. And he's Matthew McConaughey in Fool's Gold. <laughs> yes, but he looks like Harvey Keitel. <laughs> <laughs> which is great. Yes. I mean, but but it's not Matthew McConaughey. No. He but, raps at some point, doesn't he? Like, or does some rhyming or something? And it's he, the the Rock and Vince Vaughn exchange a look like, "What the fuck is going on?" And I I felt connected to their characters at that moment. Uh, not hesitant to drop any racial or homophobic slurs is Harvey Keitel or Vince, or Vince Vaughn. Vaughn or most any character in this movie. Uh, but he's not really having it. They're not having a deal. I think they kind of their first conversation just ends at kind of a standstill. Um, what ends up happening is Joe Loop mistakenly kills the Russian uh, Russian mob's hitman, and this somehow causes an altercation in which Vince Vaughn then murders him with a baseball bat. Right. So Vince Vaughn hires, but well, Vince Vaughn kills him more for disrespecting him than anything else. Right. Well, because Vince Vaughn tells him, "Hey, you killed the wrong guy. You were supposed to kill Travolta, and instead you killed some Russian dude that was trying to kill Travolta." Mm-hmm. And and Pastorelli. Making the most out of his uh, short screen time in this movie, uh, just tells him that uh, that's okay. I can try again, but you're gonna have to pay me again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and that's how Vince Vaughn and The Rock end up killing. Well, Vince Vaughn kills him, and The Rock The Rock just, just kind of watches on in horror. Yeah, Vince Vaughn just brutally murders him with a baseball bat in the parking lot of like a TGI Fridays, uh, and The Rock just kind of observes his body and says, "Yep, he's dead." So, so in, in this, this series of echoes from Get Shorty and the rest of Travolta's filmography, uh, The Rock is clearly playing the character that James Gandolfini played in Get Shorty. The big, tough guy yes. that has like a heart of gold. He's mm-hmm. kind of a teddy bear. Uh, and he was uh, Gandolfini was a stuntman in Get Shorty. Yeah. The Rock is a singer slash actor. Aspiring actor. And his thing is that he can raise his eyebrow. Mm-hmm. Endearing. Made him, a, made him a lot of money in the World Wrestling Federation in the late 90s. Still to this day. When he comes back, he has to do the goddamn eyebrow. I mean, he's the rock, for Christ's sake. He does the eyebrow like three different times, I think, in this movie. And every time you get just a round of reaction shots. <laughs> so Carr, Nick Carr tries to convince Chili Palmer that uh, that Linda's contract's being held at the like the safe house for the Russian mob, right? They have a front that's a pawn yeah, shop. Yeah, it's a pawn shop. and He tells him to go. He basically tries to set him up to get killed. Right. It's, it's again, an echo of Good Shorty when they have the the locker in the airport mm-hmm. and they give them, they give him the key and say, well, here's the money in this locker. They know, know They're just that like the, testing his merit and his knowledge and his right. chutzpah. So what's he do? Oh, he sends the, the cops in there, yes. right? Yes, yeah. I don't know if we already skipped or went by the dance scene with Uma Thurman and John Travolta. It, it happens at some point. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. The Black Eyed Peas perform and then they dance. It's just so... Travolta's so aloof in this movie. Mm-hmm. Even as he's being shot at and people are dying around him and everything. He he was cool. He was already cool and gets shorty. And now here, he's just... He's being cool. He's being cool. <laughs> he's exuding coolness to the point where it's just it just creates this force field around him. So he's never harmed. And 
Yeah, I don't remember. Something happens. There's like a big altercation or something, and then he puts an end to it, and then he turns to Uma Thurman and says, hey, the Black Eyed Peas are playing <laughs> tonight. You want to go? John Travolta knowing who the Black Eyed Peas are, I think that that solidifies this movie as cool, yep. especially in 2005. Well, there's a lot of stuff uh, that you would only get to see in this movie. Mm-hmm. The, the, this assortment of, of actors playing off each other uh, and the Black Eyed Peas playing a song while Uma Thurman and John Travolta dance. I mean, that's never going to happen again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's it's like I think it's like right in the middle of the movie when it happens. And you've kind of been waiting for it because, you know, it's, it's Vince and Mia. And the most popular thing they did was dance yeah. in 1994. So, of course, they're going to dance again. They do. It's a bit cooler. Uh, it's it's yeah it, it's it's an adult dance, right? The 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 dance from Pulp Fiction, it's kind of like frenetic and just you know it's two teenagers going at it like nervous like they don't really know what's happening. But hands on the shoulders on both ends. Yeah, yes, but this this is a more uh, measured, more confident dance. So the three routes of evil, the. Triforce of bad in this movie, Cedric the Entertainer, Harvey Keitel, and the Russian boss. They all, I, not very. It's not a miscommunication. I think Vince Vaughn tries to basically orchestrate a scenario where everything hits the fan. Well, he feels disrespected by Harvey Keitel. Yes, he calls him something. I don't know. I'm sure something horrible. Yeah, <laughs> that we shouldn't be repeating anyway. Racial or homophobic, either yeah. one. And then, yeah, he calls again. Here's an echo from Get Shorty, much like when. Uh, Gene Hackman calls Dennis Farina, trying to tell him what's what. Mm-hmm. Here, Vince Vaughn calls Cedric the Entertainer. Yeah. And says some horrible things and gets him to come to Harvey <laughs> Keitel's office. Yes. Where he's meeting with the – no, he's not meeting with the Russians yet. They'll come in later. Yeah, yeah. the Russians just walk in on their own. But, but yeah, uh, Cedric the Entertainer just starts 69s him. Mm-hmm. And Vince Vaughn, like an idiot, answers the phone. <laughs> I know we skipped over, but there are multiple times in this movie where John Travolta tells people to look at him. So there's consistent <laughs> right. homages to get shorty. Oh, yeah. Uh, so they all go up to uh, Harvey Keitel, Nick Carr's office, and it gets out of hand pretty quickly. Um, I mean, there is the, the biggest point that was made in this in this scene is that if you are not Samuel L. Jackson, dropping the N-word just ends the fun right away. <laughs> Yeah, one of the Russians, once they eventually enter the fray, it's guns everywhere, guns point at one another. And then, yeah, one of the Russians calls Cedric the N-word, and he he ain't about playing no shit when it comes to that. Well, Rightfully so. Yeah, but it's not just in the movie, in the audience, your hand goes to your mouth because yeah. it's just – so, one, it's not just that it's not Sam Jackson. It's just who is this guy? Mm-hmm. It's not even an actor – a famous actor playing this this the part of the evil Russian. It's just some yeah. dude. Yeah. So he hasn't earned the right to call anyone the N word. No, absolutely not. Um, they dangle Vince Vaughn out of a window, a la Suge Knight and Vanilla Ice, uh, and they basically come to the conclusion after they kill the the leader of the Russian mob um, that they Harvey Keitel basically sells out Chili Palmer to Cedric and his men, if I remember correctly. Yes, I think. I was focused on the fact that Kaitel just, he's not a badass at all. Mm. <laughs> he's cringing, covering his face while this is happening. Well, it's either before or after this that Cedric and his men visit Chili Palmer and 
Uma Thurman, and Chili ends up making a deal with them that, hey, you know, I'll get you the three hundred thousand, and you know, uh, you get a producer cut on the record for Linda right. He Moon. plays he plays Linda's music mm-hmm. uh, for and him. And you haven't lived until you've seen John Travolta hopping about to rap music, trying to sell it to Cedric the Entertainer. It's, I mean, this happens several times during the movie where we just listen to Linda Moon performing, mm-hmm. and and we get. The reaction from the crowd, be it Uma Thurman, John Travolta, Cedric the Entertainer, uh, random people that were there, and they're all just in awe. Yeah. Right? So It's like the first time any of these fuckers heard the Beatles or some shit. Exactly. Everybody, anytime that you need to defuse a situation, you just play one of Linda's songs, mm-hmm. and then everybody just forgets that they were going to fight, and instead they're like, this is awesome, can I be, <laughs> can I be part of this record? So so yeah, that's the that's the trick he pulls with with Cedric and yeah, Travolta is doing the thing with the hands, yeah, and Cedric is also kind of like bopping. Uh, he has a gun though, and he's going along. Too. Yeah, yeah. It looks like I got a little bit ahead of myself because first we get the career defining performance from Linda Moon as she does a duet with Aerosmith, despite the fact that no one knows who she is. She's never had a single, doesn't have a record deal. Aerosmith just willingly allows her on stage. To well, do- well, Uma Thurman talks him into it. Yes, and. Uh, not to my knowledge, there was any rehearsals, but still, they nail this duet <laughs> professionals. of crying. If if Uma, if I was Steve Tyler and Uma Thurman asked me, Steve, you guys are buddies, not <laughs> yeah. Steve and Tyler. I, I just watched him in this movie. He's Steve. Hey, I've played Revolution X. So it's Steve and JoJo, as far as I know. <laughs> uh, if I was Steve and Tyler uh, and Uma Thurman asked me anything, I would just go, "Sure, do it." Uh, That's right, because they do play the tape of Linda for him earlier. Right, he's right. And he does the, cigar the, same thing. the Staples Center. Just... Yeah, he's just not bopping his head, uh, and then Travolta psychoanalyzes him yeah. and tells him, "You know what sweet emotion really is about? It's not about being high. It's about your daughters." And then I was just amazed that we got the secret origin of sweet emotion in this movie. God bless. So then he makes the aforementioned deal with Sin. Moving along here to the conclusion of the film. Uh, Rage, um, Vince Vaughn, still enraged, tries to get Elliot to kill Chili Palmer. I mean, this movie is just echoes of echoes of echoes. This is uh, a stir of echoes. (laughs) Oh, Kevin Bacon shows up at the end. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this is Delroy Lindo trying to get James Gandolfini to kill Travolta. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know... (laughs) <laughs> kind of similar to that. Uh, Travolta was trying to help out The Rock, and he got him an audition for a Nicole Kidman film, and Vince Vaughn erased the voicemail and kept it from him, hid it from him. And then we get that awesome uh, audio clip of Travolta telling The Rock, check your next tell two-way. And then he checks it, and he sees the message. And so the, before The Rock kills anybody, he doesn't. You know, he's about to make his first kill of the movie, and thank God that he doesn't. Yeah, cooler heads prevail. Well, I mean... Not really, because Travolta and Uma Thurman are just watching it happen. They were mm-hmm. going to let him kill. Vince oh, they're Vaughn. master sociopaths in this film. <laughs> yeah. I mean, perfect for each other. Yeah. But no, instead, Vince Vaughn hits him and the gun goes off and sets something on fire, which in turn sets Vince Vaughn on fire. <laughs> and he and- goes, they're at the stage, the auditorium where they're having the MTV Video Music Awards. <laughs> no, they're recording the video. They're, they're shooting a... Oh, I thought it was the awards. Well, they show the video at the awards after that. But, okay, but for, so they're recording it. Right. Seth Green, who has like a 30-second cameo here. Again, I'm sorry. I, I fell behind and I couldn't keep up. 
every time you thought you were catching up, yeah. they threw a new actor at you. Uh, yeah, Seth Green is directing a music video for one of Laura's songs. Okay. And that's happening in the background. And that's where Vince Vaughn stumbles on the stage. Right. He catches fire. And uh, I I mean, I just watched the new Mission Impossible movie and Tom Cruise does all his stunts. That's got nothing on Vince Vaughn's fire stunt here because he's on fire dancing on stage. Uh, and that's, that's his face. Yeah. That's not a double. Okay. So and then we flash forward or we fade to real time at the MTV Video Music Awards. Right. When she wins the award for best new artist or what have you. She's from Best Christina Milan. Yeah, it's presented by Wyclef Jean and she's sitting next to Fred Durst. Just to give you a little <laughs> bit of a time frame. Although it was two thousand five, Fred Durst wasn't cool anymore. I mean, he was in this movie. <laughs> he was the epitome of cool. Yeah. He was being cool. <laughs> Uh, yeah, she wins, and uh, and I guess they kept uh, Vince Vaughn in the video. Throughout all this, Chili gets the final laugh on uh, Nick Carr as he basically says, you win, and he gives him back the uh, pawn shop ticket that, again, I believe their implication has been that her contract is being housed at this pawn shop for the Russians. So he gives, her, gives uh, Harvey Keitel the ticket. He goes back to change it out. He's given and exchanged the ball bat that killed Joe Loop right when the cops show up. Yeah. So everyone's fucked at this point. Except for Christina Milan, Chili Palmer, and Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman. Well, technically, The Rock. Edie. Yeah, The Rock the gets The Rock gets off the best. Right. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't kill anybody. He doesn't go to jail. And the movie ends with a billboard for his upcoming feature film, Samoan Rendezvous, starring himself and... Um, <laughs> Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman. And he also gets a part in the music video. Dancing. Right. Yeah. He he performs with Christina Milan. So he's probably the biggest winner there. Yeah. Uh, would, that's safe to say. Christina Milan wins and she thanks everybody. Cedric, Edie, uh, and Chili Palmer, the man that believed in me all along. <laughs> and Travolta gives her the nod. Do they leave in his uh, smart car, his, his uh, electric the car? The Cadillac of hybrids? Yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't notice. That would have been the final homage. I think we had enough homages so far. So, I, Dude, I think that every time you watch this movie, you probably pick up on new ones. There's just so much. Like when they when they come back from dancing, I think, much like in Pulp Fiction, did you notice that the shot is the same? Like the, the door is in the background mm-hmm. and they come in. I mean, they don't do that. They don't dance their way in. But they're, And then they're she snorts like, the heroin and ODs. Yeah. And then Eric Stoltz is like, be cool, man. It's like, not cool, man. <laughs> I told you just to take this and be cool with it. <laughs> oh, Jesus, Joseph and Mary. That was be cool. That was two hours of my life. I have yeah. nothing left to say. I mean, how could you? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to try to like throw something in there. I can't. <laughs> I just did. I, there's a lot to say in real talk. There is. I, I just, this movie itself just... Chili Palmer rides again. <laughs> Moving on to real talk. <laughs> and again, and again. The Simone rendezvous thing was fucking hilarious. You la- you laughed two times, mm-hmm. and, and now we're bleeding into real talk. But you you laughed at the at the billboard with mm-hmm. the with the rock and something else that I wish I could remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. Maybe it'll come to us. Godspeed. <laughs> Have you lost your mind? I mean, how is it? that you can disrespect a man's ethnicity 
when you know we've influenced nearly every facet of white America, from our music to our style of dress, not to mention your basic imitation of our sense of cool. Walk, talk, dress, mannerisms. We enrich your very existence, all the while contributing to the gross national product through our achievements in corporate America. It's these conceits that comfort me when I'm faced with the ignorant, cowardly, bitter, and bigoted who have no talent, no guts. People like you who desecrate things they don't understand when the truth is you should say thank you, man, and go on about your way. But apparently you're incapable of doing that. So. Dabu. My bad, dog. And don't tell me to be cool. I am cool. Racial epithets. Why does it always come down to that? All right, we're recording for Real Talk. Okay, be cool. It's a movie. It certainly is a thing that Julio and I watched. Hey, Alex, be cool. Be cool. I don't know about you, but my notes were fairly minimal for this one. It, I, I was struggling. Yeah. It's... Uh... Because the plot is... It's so easy to follow. The parts that are confusing are just things they just don't put in the movie. Right. It, it, like, I still don't know why the Russians wanted James Woods dead. But there is a... It, it, one of the quotes that we read in For Contrarian's Corner where somebody mentioned that Travolta looks very just disinterested and kind of bored. Mm-hmm. It, and he is the movie. So, of course, if Travolta can't bring himself, much like with uh, Look Who's Talking To, <laughs> if yeah. Travolta can't bring himself to give a shit, then it's it's a lot harder. Uh See, and that's what goes back to I would I what was the other one that we recently watched that I fucking hated? Um, basic. Yes, why I would rather watch Battlefield Earth again than this or Basic, because at least he really cares. <laughs> I think he cares some Basic. Mm. Mm. I think John McTiernan didn't care probably. Mm. Um. What was the closing point I was going to say before we launched in the quotes there? Oh, I think a lot of his inability to care was that he literally came from the operating table of a facelift that he just got. It's distracting. Yeah. It he I I'm going to sound like an asshole in a way, but turkey baster full of botox. There's something I just I mean, yeah, we joke around and everything and but in real life, I don't really want to judge people for what they do mm-hmm. to their faces or whatever, but it can't be healthy, and it's like, here's my thing. If Travolta wants to do whatever he wants to his face, right, My, I guess my issue is why did the people behind Be Cool not tell him, hey, can you wait until after the movie, mm-hmm. right? Or, hey, we're postponing shooting until your your face looks l- l- like human again. He said, oh, my God, the mirror. <laughs> the mirror. Uh he just he was looking at the mirror. He's like, "It's a goddamn mistake." <laughs> <laughs> um, like uh, Tom Cruise, who I love. I think Tom Cruise is incredibly talented. And when I saw the Mummy, it looked it was just the same. I the same thing. I was like, "What's wrong with his face? It looks like he just went through something." And now I saw him in uh, the new Mission Impossible, and he's back to normal. You, you know, he looks older. He's an older guy now, much like Travolta looks older too, and mm-hmm. everybody. But there's a difference between lo- looking older and looking plastic. Yeah. And okay, so that's fine. If that's what you want to do, then that's great. But I, why, 
if we know that it's not a permanent thing, right? It went away with Tom Cruise, I'm assuming. I mean, I know it went away with Travolta because he looks now, I mean, after Be Cool, he's looked okay again, yeah. right? So why couldn't you wait until he looked like Chili Palmer, <laughs> right? Instead, he looks like the wax doll of Chili Palmer and yeah. it's just distracting. He loses what made that character work in the first like place. Zombie John Waters. <laughs> it immediately takes you as a viewer out of it. Yeah. For me, at least. Hashtag not my chili. Chili is supposed to be really charming and, and just laid back. And instead, he just looks artificial. Like every goddamn thing in this movie. Well, artificial. yes. I mean, this is not the only problem this movie has. But before we, we get into that... Uh, I'll people have liked you know. it. Yeah. Some people liked it. Uh, it uh, before you go into your quotes there, positive. Budget of $53 million, a box office return of right around 95 So made a lot of money. Well, I mean, the trailer, like Eddie said, the trailer was actually okay. Like, it would make you think, get shorty, it didn't need a sequel. But this looks like it's fun. <laughs> it looks, It has a lot of cool names in there. I'll give it a shot. So I'm sure a lot of people got suckered on that uh, on that opening weekend. And out of those who got suckered, who liked it? Well, Dustin Putman from thefilmfile.com, uh, he didn't feel that he got suckered. He says it was hip, zippy, and oh, so cool. Whoa, zippy. <laughs> zippy. Uh, Marianne Johansson from Flick Philosopher says there's a Nobel Prize to be had in the exploration of this kind of pop culture quantum physics. She overthought it. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Witte from New York Star Ledger says Travolta's best film in years, as well as a one-man summation with occasional sidebars of what it means to be an icon. It seems like every other movie we do, we get a quote where they're like, this is his best movie in years. I think some people just can't help but be in awe of his presence on screen. Truthfully. Yeah. I mean, every Travolta performance can scratch a very specific kind of itch. And mm -hmm. if it finally scratches yours, then you're like, this is the best he's ever been. It's fair. Uh, Michelle Alexandria from Eclipse Magazine says, Twinkle, twinkle, baby. The Rock and Vince Vaughn's performance is worth the price of a matinee admission alone. Would you agree? I, I couldn't stand Vince Vaughn. <laughs> I think Vince Vaughn is a very um, underutilized, sounds extreme when talking about Vince Vaughn, but... I think he's very, very good in like his niche that he's carved, but I also think he's capable of more. James Franco in Spring Breakers is not his right role. Um, like Fred Claus, if you've listened to the podcast for any bit of length, you'll know that I fucking love Fred Claus. I think Wedding Crashers is great. I think yep. he's really funny in that. I think he's good in Anchorman. Um, I had his filmography pulled up. I could go back to it. There's a lot of things I enjoy him in. This is not one of them. It seemed like... He was not being himself, but playing a guy acting like a white guy who thinks he's black. So he was he was acting like a guy acting like a guy acting like he was black. Pretty much. He was yeah. we were three Vince Vaughn's removed. We were three layers removed. <laughs> um The Rock, though, I think I mentioned on the last podcast, everything I had ever heard about this movie was the movie sucks, but the rock's really good. And he is, but I know the rock's that funny to begin with. Uh -huh. And so it's Right, to you. The thing with the eyebrow was old news. Yeah, that. <laughs> well, reach out to eleven-year-old Alex and be like, "Yeah, that's that's day one right there, motherfucker." <laughs> um, Eleven-year-old Mattis needs to watch his fucking mouth. 
I don't even know if I knew motherfucker yet. <laughs> um, yeah, he was good. It, it's it's just. I think that he succeeds at being funny in a way that a lot of the other actors don't. Yeah. I think it's a lot of his previous experience, too. What's really weird is a lot of The Rock's detractors um, in the pro wrestling world always point to his extreme, his character's extreme homophobia. And I thought it was just kind of funny that he played a gay guy here. That That's a topic for another time. I think some people don't. It is what we, it is. We will have the the summer of Dwayne. The at great, some point. the great rock debate. Uh, no, and another thing is too. I've seen him. It, well, he's done so many. He's literally like the biggest actor in the world. He's done so many things since this that it's kind of like, yeah, this is good. But to me, it did not make up for the two hours that I lost watching this movie. Um, we have one more, and then a special uh, review. Uh, Willie Waffle from WaffleMovies.com says, "I have a man crush on John Travolta." So you could feature performances from Ben Affleck, the Olsen twins, Tara Reid, and Jamie Kennedy, and I would still like it. Who's the first one? Ben Affleck? Ben Affleck. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> well, I mean, Affleck, around the time that Be Cool came out, was he, was he, did we like him by then? Or was he Well, Reindeer Games came out in 2000. This might have been right around Geely. Ah, well then, there you go. Yeah. Um, and then finally, we have one more returning Contrarians guest uh, here. And and it's funny that you mentioned that uh, you kind of hated Vince Vaughn in this. Um, here's uh, she forgot to introduce herself in the clip, so I'll do it for her. That's this is Kinsey Jones from our Zero Dark Thirty episode, the controversial Kevin Spacey plug episode. Uh, but here, to be fair, she was unaware of the timing. We well, all we were. all were. We had no idea. Uh, so here that would have been great though if we had like our Twitters pulled up. We're just... <laughs> <laughs> We'd be like. Uh, Again, those reality shows where they're like, you know, you're they make somebody talk shit about their kid or whatever, and yeah. then they bring the kid out. <laughs> Just bring well, Anthony we have Rupp. a surprise for you. Turn <laughs> Anthony the laptop Rupp, <laughs> uh, Okay, so Kinsey says... I'm sitting here trying to think of what to say about this movie, but there isn't much to say other than I wish I'd known that it was a sequel. Makes me curious as to what the first one was like, but I really did enjoy the Vince Vaughn one-liners and... The random rock impressions. <laughs> and the John Travolta and Uma Thurman. Maybe I just like the actors. Maybe I didn't actually like the movie itself. But I thought it was funny. Thank you. Well, so Kinsey poses an interesting point, which is, you know, she likes the actors, and I like the actors here, too. Mm-hmm. Even when I don't think that, they're, that it's, they're working. I think that it's a great cast. And I think that as individual pieces... I can't find flaw in them. You know what I mean? Like the way that Harvey Keitel plays his weird bro dude producer. It individually it feels, works. Yeah, but it feels like such a waste opportunity to have Harvey, Harvey Keitel playing that character and it not being like a good movie. Right. It, it almost feels like they work better on their own. But then once you have them interact with each other, just the comedic timing is not there. And I don't know if it's that F. Gary Gray is not a... Comedy director, but then you were telling me that he directed Friday. How have you not seen Friday? I don't know. Friday <laughs> is like a classic. And I mean that I know I speak in hyperbole quite often on this podcast, but Friday is a true classic, a comedy classic, a 90s classic. Uh, he also did The Negotiator, The Italian Job. I like The Italian Job. A Man Apart, Law Abiding Citizen. I actually like that movie. It's not a good movie, but I like it. It's uh, Jamie Foxx, Gerard Butler. Yep. Yeah. And one of the string of Jar Butler movies that 
you're like, this is not good, but then you have a good time when you're watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, Geostorm. That was. I mean, that would be the latest installment of the Gerard Butler Guilty Pleasure Club. Uh, I also did Straight Outta Compton, The Fate of the Furious, and we'll be doing the Men in Black reboot. Now, that's here nor there. Uh, but yeah, like Friday, big on... So you had Cube, uh, Chris Tucker, Debo. Um, like, there's all these individual performances that mesh really well with a comedic film. And here... This, you know, people use the expression the sum of its parts. This is whatever the antithesis of that is. It isn't when the parts come together, it ruins it. <laughs> the subtraction of its parts. Because <laughs> Harvey, Ty- Harvey Keitel's good. Uh, Uma Thurman's really good. Uma Thurman's really good, but she's not funny. No. And, she's just kind of there. Right. But, but she is, on paper, she should be funny, right? The Rock's funny. I don't find Vince Vaughn funny, but apparently everyone else did. So. Well, okay. So he has. All the shit he says is very off-putting, mm-hmm. but as a darker take on the classic Vince Vaughn motormouth character, mm-hmm. I can appreciate it. I just don't think that it's the the, the surroundings are not helping him. Yeah. You know, it's just like he's just not funny because it's not nothing else is funny around him. Uh, he doesn't play off well off The Rock or off Harvey Keitel or off the. Pastorelli, dude. Yeah. Like, nobody... I, I can see why what they're doing and what they're saying is supposed to be funny, but it just doesn't work. And again, it's... it's I want to say it's more on the director than on the performers. Because these people have proven that they can be funny time and again. Mm-hmm. I don't know about Pastorelli, but, <laughs> you know, all the others. Uh, but then so did F. Gary Gray. So, what gives? I mean, Cedric the Entertainer, I wasn't kidding the first... They, have you ever seen the original Kings of Comedy? Nope. Dude, like... Few times have I laughed harder than watching it. Me and Eddie quote that shit all the time. But like, Cedric's funny, even in the shitty movies he's in, he's always really funny. Here he's funny. He's just kind of there. Uh, I think you could have made this movie. I okay, you read the book. Yes, it's completely different. Okay, so for me watching the movie, I don't know if this plays an integral part in the book. This movie could have been made easily without the whole Russian mob thing. Yeah, I don't remember the Russian mob. Here's the thing. It's so different from the book because in the book, he's not quitting the movie business. In the book, he's trying to come up with his next movie idea. And he's kind of like stuck. And he gets entangled in this drama with the singer. But but it's not that... Jesus, he, we haven't even talked about Christina Milan yet. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, but the entire time, one of the things that makes the book really fun is that he's, he's entangled with... with all these shenanigans with Laura Moon and everybody else. But it, you keep getting this narrative of how he is in the back of his head, always approaching it as in like, okay, how would this work as a movie? So while he's having these adventures, he's trying to come up with the next pitch for his movie. And so you're split between the stuff with the music, the, the stuff with the cops who are kind of like having pinned as a suspect, but also as somebody that can help them in this investigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the stuff with the studio heads who he's trying to convince that, you know, they should make his new movie. So it's it's a lot more fun, a lot more complex as far as the plotting. And it makes a lot more sense as a Get Shorty sequel. That's the other thing. This movie doesn't make sense as a Get Shorty sequel. It's it's ironic. It's be cool because no one's cool. No one's cool. It, especially the coolest character from the original movie is not cool anymore. Yeah. Uh, and it's just so, I don't know. It's so Why much, would you do that? <laughs> well, it's also just shoehorning in like, oh, the Black Eyed Peas are going to be in it. Oh, Travolta's going to be hopping about to rap music. 
Andre I like three thousand. I like Aerosmith, and I just I, dude, it's, we, we I cringed. Both horrible. I mean, I don't like Aerosmith, but I love the song "Crying." Uh-huh. And then, like two bars into it, it ruined. <laughs> yeah, this Christina Milan. I was going to say fellow, but uh, <laughs> young lady that you allege was uh, impulse. Yes, Julio also made the reference that. Her experiment lasted or was shorter than the Orlando Bloom experiment. I mean, it's, I think it's just this movie and Pulse. Yeah. Let's see here. I mean, she's in. I, I looked her up online uh, on IMDb, and a lot of her IMDb page were just like the entries were her music videos. So I guess she has a music career. She was not like bad, but she was an interchangeable early 2000s like girl that was trying to be made. Right. So she can sing. You know, and she can just perform. I guess she was. She didn't stand out as a bad actress, surrounded by all the other people. But more so than where we're at now, and like in the '90s, there was this huge, like in the early 2000s, like a brick between like 1999, more 2000 and 2006. There was like this huge push for young, like uncomfortably good-looking women that could kind of act and. I think Sarah Michelle Gellar kind of started it, but she was actually good in right. the late 90s. And I think people went into that. And, yeah, singing was a big part of it, too. I remember there was a lot of actresses they tried to make based off their singing ability. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of – there are chunks of this movie that are just devoted to just watching her sing. Mm-hmm. And I, it doesn't help the story at all. It feels it feels awkward. I, I hate – those those beats where you know she's performing and then they cut to Travolta, Numa Thurman, and Steven Tyler, and everybody's so into it. I these are good actors. I mean, I know Steven Tyler, but Numa Thurman, John Travolta, they're good actors, mm-hmm. and they can't sell it no. to me that oh, this is transcendent music. That it's it, this is such an important experience. They, they look like they're acting, right? Yeah, it just looks like they're trying so hard to sell it to me, and and it happens several times during the movie. You know, she performs. She has the piano performance. Then she uh, performs for Cedric, mm-hmm. I think, or they play the tape for Cedric. And then she performs with Aerosmith. Then she performs again at the MTV Awards. Every time they cut to the audience and you're supposed to buy that, wow, this is amazing. And it's just like, it's a song. She's Roman Reigns. If they push it hard enough, you'll just have to accept it after a while. Uh, I think they either didn't push hard enough or <laughs> or they... They just pushed too hard. Because I was like, I don't want to watch this girl sing. I want to no. watch the adventures of Chili Palmer and fucking bring back Rene Russo. Or at yeah. least explain to me why she's not around anymore. Or like Danny DeVito's just kind of there and doesn't even bring her up. Because that was like her ex-husband. And right. Shit. Yeah. yeah. It's like if, you, if you're going to reference the, the uh, hybrid of Cadillac or Cadillac of hybrids, you know, that line, why can't you reference a character that was actually really important in the first movie. And James Gandolfini didn't die, right? No. He saved his life. And he was like, <laughs> a cameo from him here or just like an appearance would have been huge because The Sopranos would have been at a fever pitch. It right. would have been right before it ended. Well, maybe Gandolfini read the script and it's like, ah, no. <laughs> I'm going to go over here. <laughs> um, that was a terrible Gandolfini. Um, <laughs> Who was that? That was like Bobby Moynihan doing James Gandolfini. Um yeah, it it didn't make sense. It didn't flow. It like I told you, the worst thing in my what I what this podcast has taught me in movies we've done is the biggest sin a movie can commit is just being boring. And I don't care. If a movie's really, really, really bad, 
like, for example, obviously this is an audio podcast, so you can't see it. Julio and I's notes um, are fairly minimal for this. I didn't even take up a whole page. If a movie's really good, I get about two pages. If it's really bad, sometimes even like two and a half, just because like it's so easy to dissect. <laughs> right. But I just didn't give a shit. I was just like, about 30 seconds into it, I was like, okay, Travolta looks weird. And then <laughs> 30 minutes into it, I was like, okay, they've done nothing. This is only a sequel in name. Right. And it was like, I, I don't know if I mentioned this already, the whole marketing campaign around this was... The selling point was, oh, John Travolta and Uma Thurman dance again. And by the way, the wolf is there too. Yeah. <laughs> and the dance isn't even good. It, it completely misses everything that makes the dance scene in uh, Pulp Fiction great. Right. It's. I mean, well, I don't know. Maybe if you're very much into the Black Eyed Peas, you can get something out of this Jesus musical Christ. number. If you but... are, I hope you're not listening to our podcast. <laughs> but it, it's it lacks passion. It feels, you know, much like how hard they're pushing Christina Milan to you. Like they're also, it just feels like the filmmaker saying, "Okay, well, we know you want this, so we're gonna make it the centerpiece." And it goes on forever. It lacks any sense of heart or spontaneity. Right. There, there are no stakes really. No. It's not even that this is the moment where uh, where Uma Thurman falls for him. They already were flirting, and and there was an attraction and everything. So it's just it's just a dance. Well, and, and to me, like with those actors and actresses, because truth be told, um, Uma Thurman more so than Travolta, because Travolta, I still kind of mix in a little bit of uh, Danny Zuko. Mm-hmm. But Uma Thurman to me is always Mia Wallace. John Travolta <laughs> to me is usually always Vincent Vega. Because of that, I never had any desire to see them kiss ever on screen. And it feels like it's forced in there. But also the dance scene, again... They set up this whole scenario just to get them to dance. Yeah. Whereas, like, the dance scene in Pulp Fiction, I didn't mean to cut you off, but just to kind of finish my point here, there's so much emotion that goes into that. It's like Travolta, the fear of him, he doesn't want to do it. Um, And then, like, getting up there and then just kind of cutting loose. And here it's just kind of like, hey, let's dance. It's fucking Ronnie Dangerfield and Caddyshack. (laughs) So what? So let's dance. That's what it is. Do you dance? I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> That's it. Uh, I getting it, too is good. <laughs> it, uh, but it makes me think of, of something else, which is uh, also going back to what Kinsey said that she hadn't seen the original. Mm-hmm. I know that this movie bothers me more than maybe it should or it would if I didn't love Get Shorty so much. So the fact that it's a shitty follow up to Get Shorty. And that it has a lot of like really lame references to Get Shorty. That if you haven't seen Get Shorty, maybe you think that they're actually decent jokes, right? Yeah. The same way that maybe if you haven't seen Pulp Fiction, or if you're not a hardcore fan of Pulp Fiction, then do you? Or if you haven't seen any of Travolta's good movies, right? But but specifically Pulp Fiction, right? You can't, as a filmmaker, can you ignore the fact that putting Uma Thurman and John Travolta on the dance floor is a big deal? Yeah. Right? Because this movie kind of does. I mean, it doesn't in the sense that they knew that it was a big deal, but they don't treat it like a big deal. It's yeah. just like the fact that they're on the dance floor should be enough. It's literally inconsequential to the story. Right. It's just like, here it is. It, it, it's almost like they were Lap not... Wrap it up. They didn't think about what they were going to be measured against. Mm-hmm. It's like you're being measured against the dance number. It's, uh, it comes across fiction. as like they literally just thought it was just that easy. Right. Well, <laughs> if we just put them out there and dance. I mean, they're good dancers. Best picture. <laughs> <laughs> Or most popular picture. Uh, text. Yeah. One eight hundred Oscars. 
You hosted the last pure Oscar party, Julio. I did. Yep. Good God. And it was grand. Um, so, well, maybe uh, Be Cool is not as terrible if you haven't seen Get Shorty. <laughs> In a way, it, it, it stands on its own. You don't need to have seen. The only, the only thing that Get Shorty does for you while you're watching Be Cool is make you angry that the jokes are so bad and that the, the callbacks are so bad and make you wonder why the connection is not better. Yeah. It, I don't know. You had seen it, so the blow was a bit easier for you. I hadn't, and I I hadn't seen oh, Get Shorty either, dude. I I had forgotten how bad it was. It's really bad. It's really bad. I I thought it was a little more entertaining. I will say this: that the blow of this film was softened greatly by because I've always said if you have a good finish, then you can get away with just about anything. That closing shot of the billboard <laughs> of the Rock and Nicole Kidman, I was like, that's fucking great. Yeah, um, I wish I could remember what was the other thing that made you laugh. I, if I would guess, I would imagine it wasn't something in, that was supposed to make me laugh. Not the Rock. I mean, the Rock's fine. I, again, I've seen the the height of Rock's comedic ability, and it's not been on the silver screen. <laughs> He's a genius, man. I dude, I was I got in an argument with someone. Fuck, who was that? Some dumb motherfucker in Tennessee was telling me The Rock was overrated, and I got fucking hot about it. <laughs> no, I, I remember. I was like, The Rock's a great promo. And he's like, is he? And then I was, oh, man, I went off. And then you just black out. You just, yeah. <laughs> next thing you know, they're pulling you off the guy. <laughs> My argument always is he literally could have taken a fucking phone book or a cookbook, and he could take it out and just start reading out of it, and people will just hang on every word he says. And that comes across and is that's why he is i'm not saying he's the best actor but why he has become one of the biggest actors in the world because he is so captivating to the general public i mean i don't know who who's the best living actor daniel lewis joaquin phoenix as far as just critical acclaim yeah obviously i know that's always in the <laughs> it's the, kind of a shame because i i need to pause before i even bring up the nero because now it's just <laughs> well i mean i, I don't everybody care. has their heyday I was going to say, I don't care for much for the movie. The last thing he acted in was um, Silver Lang's playbook. Anyway, my point being communicating with the general public and then also like communicate or getting through to critics is a completely different thing. Getting way off tangent here. This is bringing it back. We're not in the fall of Dwayne yet. We're here in the, <laughs> the summer of Travolta. The summer of Travolta. So, um, yeah, it was just really, this movie was just super flat. And again, just tiring and boring and. Um, just to me, didn't really work on any level. I mean, say one good thing about it. Like I said, the rock, the rock, is good. right? Yeah. yeah, Uma Thurman, Uma fine. Thurman, yeah. Um, fine, a shame, note. yeah, a shame that you know she's really wasted. Mm-hmm. Cedric, um, I wish this movie had done better because I always think Cedric the Entertainer should have better high profile roles because I think he is really good. He gets he gets a speech. He gets the closest to an Oscar moment that this movie has. <laughs> His whole like I am cool speech. Yeah, it's always cool. Like I I set up a, a little bit. I was like, oh, I, I forgot that this was here. I wish there would someone else to take a risk on him in a similar situation because I think he is talented enough to hold his own, and he does. I mean, he didn't look out of place. No, with those the, other actors or actresses. Uh, how do you like about? How do you feel about uh, Andre Benjamin? Did you feel like he was trying a little too hard? Yes, but. Um, I love Semi Pro, and I think he's perfect in that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. he is. And he is. so I think, and that was two or three years after this. So mm-hmm. 
uh, to my knowledge, he really didn't do too much in the realm of acting. But yeah, he was trying a bit hard. I think it was him just kind of finding a spot. And also, you know, you can cast almost anyone perfectly. But um, yeah, I just didn't really like that whole. There were a lot of little things in this, like his whole thing about accidentally shooting his gun off. that just never really paid off. Yeah. Like that's how Vince Vaughn should have gotten shot. Is like Andre three thousand was in the background cleaning his gun and it went off or something. And yeah, then he said right to bear arms or something. <laughs> um, uh, I don't want to go too comparatively speaking because we have the Travoltis yet to come. Right. No, I was just gonna say you know bring it back to to the man of the hour. Where was he? Can you pull up his filmography? Like where was he at this time? Was this just a decline? Was he? Was it just like a bump on the road? Mid two thousands, I would imagine he was kind of already. Jesus, his Wikipedia picture. <laughs> he fucking looks like the bad guy from a PS three game. <laughs> he was in Goldmember, the Austin Powers movie. Is he the bad guy at the beginning? Like the you know the when they're doing the movie where Tom Cruise plays Austin Powers and I guess he would have had to be. So uh basic, ladder forty nine, a love song for Bobby Long, The Punisher, Magnificent Desolation, Be Cool. Ooh. Wild <laughs> Hogs. Oh my god. <laughs> so in this from yeah, from 2000 on, it looks like into the 2000s, his first good movie was Hairspray. Uh, so he followed up Be Cool with Wild Hogs. Mm-hmm. That's fucking rough. Lonely Hearts is what he followed it up with. And okay. then Wild Hogs. Then Hairspray, then Bolt, which is good. Then Taking a Pelham 123, which is not. Um, did you ever see Savages, the Oliver Stone one? Uh-uh. Nah. He's good in it. Is he the bad guy? Uh, he's the FBI agent that like is with Taylor Kish and Kick Ass and like helping them set it up. It's not a good movie at all, but um, I mean he's fine. Is he back to normal by then? No, he still has the weird plugs and stuff going on. Oh man, hasn't recovered. Oh, well. so that was uh, be cool. That kind of winds down that. I mean, we're not going to end the summer of Travolta on a low note. Well, no, but actually, before we we leave this particular low note. Okay, take us out. Is it worse than Christmas with the Cranks? No. <laughs> it had to be asked. Absolutely not. <laughs> Christmas with the Cranks doesn't have uh, the rock. No. There, there's many things this movie it's, it has Fred Durst in a tank top. That that means it succeeds over Christmas with the Cranks. Um, so we have the Travoltis coming up. We do. And we'll uh, the categories aren't official yet, but right? We, we just it'll be along the lines of you know best best picture, worst picture, best performance, worst performance, best sidekick, worst sidekick. Yeah, I like it. Um, best female counterpart, worst female uh-huh. counterpart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we could do like eight awards. Yeah, and you know we will do like the, I guess the collection of uh Travolta theme nicknames for your penis. <laughs> I, I I can do that. Yeah, I mean we promised, yeah. so so we have to deliver. I don't know what the be cool would be. <laughs> the be cool is like <laughs> you had too much Chinese food, so you like fell asleep before it actually started. 
like the girl's really into it and you're like baby be cool <laughs> take it easy yeah no telling um so winding down here on this episode brings us along to plugs. Before we get too far into that, I do want to go ahead and give our regular thanks to the Festive Years who provide our opening and closing tracks. Last Stand in Summer 1999, album Don't Let Me Use You, provides us with those songs. As always, we greatly appreciate it. Also, many, many, many thanks to Hans Roth Geezer from the Nacion Combi podcast. He did our logo. If you like our logo, just uh, hit him up. Maybe... Uh, he can do a logo for you as well. He is at uh, his email address, mildemonios at hotmail.com. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S at hotmail.com. And he's also on Twitter, at mildemonios. And like I said, he has a podcast that's in Spanish. So practice your Spanish and listen to it. You can do like the terminal. Just listen, uh-huh. have the two side by side. Um, so for my plug this week, just interesting point of discussion. Uh, one plugging Delta Airlines. I mean, they had that massive data breach recently, but I hadn't flown on them in a long time. <laughs> I didn't realize that they have your own like personal TV and all your seats, and you can watch movies that are like up to date. Like I was telling Julio, they had a uh, Infinity War on there, and uh, they have like television series like up to the most recent episode. Uh, but the I had an hour and forty five minute flight, so the movie I chose to fit in that time was A Quiet Place. Directed and written by John Krasinski, Jim. Jim from The Office. Starring Jim and his wife, Emily Blunt. Um, it was pretty awesome, and it kind of sucked. That was like my take on it. All right, Alex, tell me. No, it's awesome. The story's <laughs> like great. But it was such a movie. Like I was watching it, I was like, of course his daughter's deaf. Of course she's pregnant. Of course. like That was the main thing. It, it fell into all these cliches, but... It, I didn't really care. It's one of those things of like if the movie has you. My thing being, I could see how someone could pick holes in it. I think I was just more surprised watching it that it's like at 98% or something on Rotten Tomato that more people hadn't picked holes in like its plot uh-huh. because you easily could. I uh, think that they, they have, but they don't care. A yeah, lot of people, that, they have, they're like, but I still enjoyed it. I think that was my thing. I went into it like thinking this is supposed to be like the best horror movie ever. So I was able to find these things that are like they stole the gag from Home, Home Alone 2. <laughs> <laughs> Emily Blunt steps on it and screams like Daniel Stern. <laughs> ah! um, but my point being, I think I, my brain was just going to that to say, no, wait, there are things wrong with it. But then when it was over, it was like, like the ending was so silly, but it was cool. Uh, like just Emily uh, Blunt cocking the shotgun. Um, emotionally connected was pretty fucking creepy. A pretty terrifying thing to think about being a, a real life scenario. These fucking monsters that just fucking slay you if you make any noise. Uh, how'd you like Krasinski? His his beard was pretty ma- majestic. <laughs> uh, man, you want to talk about something? You know, Vincent Vega, uh, Ian Wallace. He is never gonna not really? be Jim Halpert. I, I was actually I was I was able to separate Jim from him. This is the best he's done in doing that. Uh-huh. Um, his other big ones, Leatherheads, uh, which is fine. And Away We Go, I really I, enjoyed. I haven't seen Away We Go. But still, I was just watching it. I'm like, ah, it's it's Jim after a year away at college coming back with his glasses and his beard. He's uh, You kept waiting for him to look at the camera? Yeah. <laughs> Here, I think the biggest difference is those movies are very lighthearted. I mean, Away We Go has some serious elements to it, but it's not... Like, there's the intensity that he brings here is really impressive. 
And the fact that he directed it and everything. Mm-hmm. Is, yeah, yeah. And I wasn't at all at any point annoyed, like, ugh, Judd Apatow, his wife's <laughs> in the movie with him. Oh, well, because she is fantastic. Yeah, Emily Blunt's awesome. Always. Yeah, well, I mean, with Emily, I was asking about Krasinski because I was like, there's no point asking about Emily Blunt. <laughs> Emily Blunt is just, she's Always great. good. Yeah, yeah. And in this, I can't, I haven't heard of anybody complaining about her performance in this movie. She's just, she kills it. Yeah, I wouldn't complain about either of them. And the kids are good. Yeah. And, um, yeah. It's that's my immediate thought was like that was awesome, but it kind of sucked just because it's so. My sister was saying her take on it was it just shows, uh, in her words, how big of a Mark Krasinski is for movies, and that like, yeah, his go tos are just going to be these cliche things, but the point is, you know, keep it simple, and if you can pull it off, more power to you, which is exactly what this was. It was. Every you know cliche you could think of in a situation like that, but the acting and the storytelling and the pacing was so good that it didn't matter. Also, the length was perfect. Yeah, I felt if it had been like ten minutes longer, they would have lost me. Yeah, and I think that there was this is one of those movies where it was spoiler really, all by the way on. <laughs> uh, it was really enhanced when you watch it in a movie theater. I could see that. Uh, well, but you were also risking having a back crowd that was noisy mm-hmm. because then you would hear everything. Well, I was on a, it was a night flight at 11:30 at night and I had my big headphones on right. so yeah, yeah no, was... that's perfect. I I watched it twice and actually the first time I watched it there was like a stretch of the movie where there was like a baby mumbling in the back row Ugh. and I was like fuck this. How can you be this inconsiderate? Take the baby out. Take the yeah. baby out and then come back. And then the baby calmed down, and it was fine. But, uh, you know, it's like in this movie in particular, you'll hear anything. So uh, There's only, at most, maybe two or three minutes of dialogue. Yeah, when he's talking to his son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's a really cool scene, too, when mm-hmm. at the waterfall. Um, yeah, and then when he's at the end where Krasinski sacrifices himself and just, Pam! <laughs> No, that was that was good. The monsters in that are pretty freaky. Yeah, uh, it was it was good. I liked it a lot. They looked like the little critters in Hellboy, all grown up. Um, yeah, it, it was it was worth the wait for me to see it. Everyone else was watching Avengers. Like I was looking at all the other screens, <laughs> and it was just everyone watching Avengers. Well, I'm glad you didn't watch Avengers in a fucking. Plane. I've got fucking four years to catch up on yes. Marvel movies. Yeah. Um, uh, before my plug is is really well. First, like a little update. I mentioned it on social media, and uh, and I told you about it. I think over text, but we haven't said it on the show, which is that we finally are on Spotify. It just happened. Whoop. Yeah, I just when we were thinking that we weren't, we are. Uh, and then uh, this. So we are obviously recording way in advance because I I I have a wedding. <laughs> to be part of, but uh, that's that's still like a couple of weeks away. This episode is not going to air until September 1st. Mm-hmm. Um, last week, uh, the Epic Film guys had me over to talk about Mission Impossible Fallout. They, uh, they needed a couple of podcasters to fill in, and I jumped at the chance to be on their show, and it was a lot of fun, so... I'm not going to give Mission Impossible Fallout the full plug here. I'm just going to tell you it was awesome. Nice. Uh, and I will also say that anybody that wants to watch it should 
watch all the other movies before. If you're one of those people that skipped the last one or hasn't watched all of them, it's well worth it to Is it watch five or six. Five, and this was the sixth one. Okay. Uh, this movie it really hits so many things from all the other movies. It you're kind of lessening the experience. Uh, for yourself you're still gonna enjoy the movie but it's gonna be a lot more intense a lot more fun if you've watched one through five Mm -hmm. and then go into this Uh, and so yeah the epic film guys podcast i i was there we talked about a lot of things uh among them how i felt like having seen the trailer so many times uh kind of distracted me while i was watching the movie because you know yeah you're constantly comparing to the movie that you made up in your head while you were watching the trailer um so that's one. The other thing that I plugged there or that I, you know, talked about was uh, Unfriended Dark Web. Oh, yes. Which, you know, Alex, what, two years ago, three years ago, you plugged Unfriended. And that's what made me watch Unfriended when I found it on cable. Yeah. And now I watch because of that, because I liked Unfriended so much. I went and saw Unfriended Dark Web in theaters. And it's just as good, if not better. Goddamn. So you need to go see it. I will make that a priority. Yeah. Uh, and... I don't think this is, a, this is a spoiler. It's it's nothing supernatural. Like the first one, it's a supernatural story. Yeah. This is just all set in the real world. Nice. But the same conceit of, oh, it's all on a on a monitor. So a lot of fun. A lot of, uh, and it's, again, 90 minutes. Just a good time at the movies. Excellent. All right. Well, we're not going to say our tearful goodbyes yet because no, no, the, the, the summer Travolta still we got one more rodeo left in us, uh, but that's going to do it for be cool. It wasn't, but uh, <laughs> well, you know, at least for listeners, they got the two parts, so they, they got get shorty and be cool. That's true. Also, we should thank our uh, our past collaborators: Brandon Curtis, Chaz Fisher, Eddie Strait, Kinsey Jones. Absolutely, thank you for your uh, contributions on this, and I'm sure your future contributions. We do appreciate it. Uh, But that's going to do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time for The Travoltees. Paparazzi. <laughs> that's the joke. <laughs> I was just like nodding, like yes, that absolutely. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> um, hey guys, do you have a screenplay you need feedback on? Well, you are in luck. I, Julio, the half of the contrarians that speaks with an accent, I'm doing official screenplay coverage now. And if you're a listener of the show, you'll get a discount. Just email wearethecontrarians at gmail dot com and tell us which is your favorite episode of the podcast and why. Turn around, it's about two weeks, and you'll get detailed notes that are even more thorough than what we do in the show, although it'll also be less funny. For more information, email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com or visit our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and click on the Julio Reads Your Scripts link. Your voice is beautiful.